everybody. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. I'm in studio with Channing Martinez, the producer and co-host with whom I work. We're very excited to spend this hour and we will go to the phones with Mercedes Martinez, the president of the Puerto Rican Teachers Federation. How are you, Mercedes? Good. Are you, We're great. Um, so I just want to introduce the situation. Uh, we're very excited to have you on the show, and if it's possible, we want to spend the whole hour with you, and this will also be, of course, taped and transcribed, and you could use it in any way possible in the struggle. Uh, Channing Martinez, my partner and uh, co-host of the show, has been working with a group for Committee for Just and Fair Schools that have been getting ready for a solidarity trip to Puerto Rico in October. And he came back from a training in New Orleans and was raving about the work that you were doing and how much we wanted to get more support for you. So, and also to learn more because Voices from the Frontlines is a show about movement organizing. So uh, I just wanted to introduce a few words about myself and then turn it over to Channing for the first round, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, so Mercedes, it's very exciting to talk to you. I, uh, I was uh, with the Congress of Racial Equality and the uh, student nonviolent, work with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in New York. I uh, started organizing in the South Bronx. So I, I started meeting black and Puerto Rican communities in the South Bronx and uh, well, in 1962, and Puerto Ricanos, and then I got, as I got more involved in the movement, I worked with the Young Lords, I worked with Juan Gonzalez at Colombia, I worked with the Puerto Rican Socialist Party, and we're very exciting to, to learn about the present struggle, which continues the anti-colonial struggle in Puerto Rico today. So uh, we're very impressed with your work, and I look forward to this conversation. Thank you. It's an honor for you. It's an honor for me to be here in the program with you and to hear about your struggles as well. So it's, you know, it goes both ways. Solidarity goes both ways, and our struggles are your struggles and vice versa. So we're more than honored to be here in this space with you guys. Well, when Channing was meeting with you, uh, he was saying that, there's two different ways you might want to open up. We just I spent all last night reading this colonization and anti-colonization in Puerto Rico, 20-page, beautiful, if profoundly painful, uh, history of genocide by both the Spanish and the U.S. Uh, Channing was saying that down in New Orleans, you gave a presentation where you 
started in some way about, at least with Clinton and with Obama, and then moved to Trump, and then talked about the situation in Puerto Rico. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to start with the, the situation and go backwards, or do you want to do some history and go forwards? Whatever you think is best. I think we can go with the history first, or whatever. Yeah, you let's think do the history. Let's, yeah. We love history. Yeah. Let's so. start with the history. Okay, so well, Puerto Rico has been a, a colony for more than 500 years. More than 400 years was under the Spanish um, government and 124 years under the U.S. government. So it's an inhuman, you know, it's one of the last colonies of, of the world, and it's an inhuman condition for any country to be in. So in order for our problems to be solved in our country, um, a lot of them have to be related directly to our colonial situation, our the oppression that the people of Puerto Rico have been subjected to for more than 500 years. And when we were in New Orleans, we were reading about the history. We gave a small presentation about what it has been like, what it has meant, and the control that uh, different governments have tried to implement over the Puerto Rican people. The Under the Spanish acquisition, I believe we talked about education, how to the Catholic um, religion they tried to implement in Puerto Rico full control of its people, using religion as an excuse, and the education system was not available for anyone practically in their country. Girls were not allowed to go to school. Boys were not allowed to go to school unless they were from the ruling class in the country. So they were a lot of illiterate people in Puerto Rico, more than 85% of the population was illiterate um, until we got to be given as uh, the treaty, the Paris Treaty to the U.S. When we became a colony of the U.S. in 1898, when we were invaded, 85% of the population was still illiterate. They tried to control then the people through education, through the transculturation and the Americanization of the curriculum and the domination, the full domination of our curriculum. So boys started to go to school, girls started to go to school, but everything was controlled by the U.S. We didn't have a Puerto Rican Secretary of Education until almost 50 years after we were a colony. So it has always been a struggle. It has always been a struggle about domain. You know, they want to dominate us. They want to control what we think, what we do. In our country, and the easiest way for anyone that conquers a country is to do it through the education system. Right. So education is in the front lines. It has always been, you know, because of this. Mercedes, are you still on? Yes, I have a little bad signal. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, well, um all of that is heavy and then some of that I was reading on the same timeline about the education and how children were not able to be educated and then there were things in here about the Spanish even saying that you know passing a 
how should I call it, passing like laws basically saying that people had to convert to Catholicism to even be free. Um, and it, it's heartbreaking to know that, you know, it's the same United States suppressing people all over the world. And one thing I think that I had not under, I had not understood was I had not understood very much about the Commonwealth and how that plays a role in the politics of Puerto Rico. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that and its connection to the education system as well. I'm sorry, so my signal, I'm, I'm trying to move here because my signal, here in Puerto Rico, signal is still very bad even. Yeah, it's been a year after the hurricane, so I'm moving to see if I can hear you better. I'm sorry. Sure. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, yes, we can we hear can you. Hear Go yeah. ahead, say the last question. You know, it's good. Just the punchline. <laughs> I think <coughs> sorry. I think the punchline was can you speak a little bit about the Commonwealth and the relationship to the United States as it relates to all of Puerto Rico, but also within the education system? I think that was one thing I was learning about when I met you. Oh sure thing. Well Puerto Rico became a US colony in eighteen ninety eight. In nineteen seventeen they awarded us um, citizenship, the American citizenship. But obviously this was because of a price. They needed people to go to war, and they wanted to use Puerto Ricans on the front lines of war. So it's a secondhand citizenship where we are supposed to be American citizens, but the ones that live here in the island cannot vote for any member of Congress, cannot vote for the president. Um, so it's not with full rights. Then in 1952, the Constitution of Puerto Rico was established, and it was a mechanism of trying to to pretend to the world that we were we had our own government and we ruled over our country, which was not true. Obviously, here in Puerto Rico, we are not a territory or part of the United States. We are a possession. We are a colony. So what they did with the Constitution is try to to pretend to the world that we were our own government, that we were free, that we could make our own decisions, and that nothing was being decided for us. But it was not true. Luis Muñoz Marín was the first Puerto Rican governor here under that on that year, and what they what they did is a Commonwealth where you say that you're a part of that you belong to, but you're not a part of the U.S. So basically, that's what the Constitution or the Commonwealth, they call it a free associated state, which is not true. You know, it's a vague, it's a vague status in order to prevent the people of the, of the island from being truly self-governing while removing the, the Puerto Ricans um, from the United Nations list of non-self-government. So the U.N. had a lot to do with this, too. Let's talk about that a minute, because, you know, the Palestinian people at least keep going to the U.N. trying to get help. Malcolm X talked about black people going to the United Nations to get help. And what I read is that this is a trick that, at least legally, ostensibly, prevents you from saying that you're a colonized people. Now, 
Was there support, or uh, let me say it a different way, was there opposition to this inside the UN? Did other forces try to fight for Puerto Rico in this situation, or did they rubber stamp the United States? No, they, they're rubber stamp of the U.S. We have been going to the U.N. year after year after year on the decolonization hearings, and all the U.N. does is hear the Puerto Ricans um, that go there about the colonial status, and they say it's immoral, but nothing comes to it. And in 1952, when it was decided for the Puerto Rican people, or the Puerto Rican um, country to, to become a, a commonwealth, that meant that the United States would not have to report on their status to the UN decolonization committee. So it was a trick. The new constitution included a clause stating that in financial difficult times, they would have to pay general obligation bonds before any other debts, for example. And that's what we're facing now. But that has become apparent, an apparent issue and problem here in 2016. But the UN has not been of any help, and they have to investigate what happened to Puerto Rico. But more than 50 years going to the UN, and not a result. So we're not going to get our independence that way. Well, let me ask you this. We're talking to Mercedes Martinez, the president of the Puerto Rican Teachers Federation, with Jenny Martinez and Eric Mann. Uh, in the present situation, you know, again, Channing and I have been reading about this. We stayed up half the night, I stayed up half the night trying to read too. about this. And Channing did too, and he was watching films about it. Um, you're stuck in a very difficult situation because, on one hand, the essentially the hedge funds, the U.S. government, all the corporations are essentially, as I understand it, bleeding Puerto Rico and forcing you into a set of debt. Uh, as I understand it, you have two main demands, right? One is to uh, get rid of, is it the Jones Law? The Jones Act. Act. The Jones Act, which uh, is trying to prevent help from Cuba or Venezuela and other country. And the second is issues of trying to essentially forgive the debt and cancel the debt. Could you talk more about those two demands and... How, how are you doing with that amazingly difficult struggle you're having? Well, the Jones Act um, was established in 1917 when they gave us the citizenship. It made English the official language in Puerto Rico by then, and it granted us the second-hand citizenship, as I told you before. We are requesting the Jones Act to be abolished because it specifically states that the U.S. controls who we can do commerce with. And right now, after the hurricane happened, Venezuela tried to help with electricians. Cuba offered to bring medical um, brigades to Puerto Rico, and they were not allowed to enter our country, even though they were offering help and much-needed assistance for the relief efforts in our country. And... After this hurricane happened, the U.S. government denied the help from the people of Puerto Rico to become a reality because of Jones Act. So it definitely needs to be abolished. The other thing is that we have a $72 billion debt that has been imposed on the Puerto Rican people, and the government wants us to pay for it. 
and the U.S. Congress appointed during Barack Obama's presidency in 2016 a seven-member of officials that are not elected by the people of Puerto Rico to tell us what the recovery of the $72 billion debt has to look like, and it's all severe austerity measures against the Puerto Rican people. It's not to audit the debt, it's not to cancel the debt, it's to make the people that have not created the debt in our country pay for it with proposals to shut down hundreds of schools, to shut down um, precincts of the University of Puerto Rico campuses, to cut the budget from healthcare services, housing, the pension system. They want to drain it completely and turn it over to 401ks. So all the measures that have been imposed are being imposed against the working class and the ruling class, the hedge funds, the bondholders, the ones that created that walk freely in a country, winning more money day in and day out. So it's very important for the message to be spread around the world and internationally that we need the Jones Act to be abolished, that we need the debt to be canceled. It has been paid for with more than 100 years of colonialism. So if we want Puerto Rico to progress, we need to cancel that debt. So in terms of things that you want, uh, is it correct to say that whether it would be Bernie Senator Bernie Sanders or hopefully uh, Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Octavio uh, Ocasio-Cortez or uh, any of the other Democrats, that we could be asking them to support these demands and to bring them yeah, into Congress? Most definitely, yes. All right. Well, when Channing and Barbara go to Puerto Rico and after they get more information, you know, we're going to come back and try to, you know, do something at least about trying to raise these demands publicly as well as we can. Uh, Channing, you wanted to ask some stuff. Sure. Uh, so, Mercedes, I wanted to back up a little bit. And when I met you, you said you talked a little bit about your background. And I, I even remember someone asking and saying they've never heard of teachers unions doing such amazing things. Like I know the teachers union you were saying are doing different brigades. Um, and one thing you had also said is that you know, Puerto Rico has a background in socialism and socialist organizing. So I'm, I'm curious if you can speak a little bit about your own background um, in the work. How did you come to this work? Well, I, I was part of the, I became part of the union in 2006 when I joined, uh, uh, when I became a teacher. And it was actually my mother, the one that affiliated me to the union and taught me throughout my life my lifetime, the importance of being a union member. And it was class conscious that was I inherited from my parents who were both um, independentistas and, and socialists themselves. So I was brought up with, by my parents who believed that we should become a free and socialist country. And they were part of different socialist parties when I became a teenager, I was, uh, I became to go to the study groups of, the circle studies of the movement of socialist workers here in Puerto Rico, 
and I started studying about socialism with different comrades and the union member leadership from 2003 up till now. Um, the leadership of the union are have been a majority um, socialist workers that have given a class conscience um, perspective to the union and have have built that class conscience within our members and the importance of fighting for social justice, for education justice, and creating you know in this in these groups that we have been participating in the importance on the people's mind that they have to be a union member, but being a union member is part of a of a bigger agenda. We have to fight for the country that we want. We have to fight for the future generation. And it's not going to happen unless we have class conscience, unless we have in mind what's at stake, what they want to take away from us, why they want to take it away from us. Why this is a profit? How capitalism works? How disaster capitalism works here in our country right now? So, so me myself, I was brought up by my parents, who were both um, socialists and who were both in different parties in in our country. And as I grew up around them and their friends, I became affiliated to the movement of socialist workers here in Puerto Rico and. Basically, that's that's my background. But we represent teachers that are from different parties, you know, pro-statehood, pro-commonwealth, pro-independence party, people that are not affiliated to any parties. So as a union, we represent all of our members um, equally because at the end of the road, we are just one working class. Well, that's great. And, and I think one of the things that you're saying is you know, we've always wanted to figure out how a class-conscious trade union could be part of a broader political anti-imperialist, pro-socialist, the socialist movement that's been very complicated in the United States. Uh, are you willing to just give us, I mean, one of the things that's always been difficult in the United States is, and all around the world has been that there are, of course, political differences and we don't always navigate them very well. I mean, you pointed out you wanted the union to represent pro-independence, pro-statehood, uh, other things. What are the are there other groups like in terms of the struggles right now, so-called line struggles in the movement around Puerto Rico? Are there efforts at either difference and also efforts at figuring out how to work together around a common program? Could you explain maybe some of the debates going on now inside of uh, Puerto Rico about independence, the, you know, how to, how to address the crisis, and your view on maybe where you come down on some of those questions? Well, right now in Puerto Rico, there has been a lot of grassroots organizing, uh, particularly after the hurricane. People that are working with auto-sustainable um, projects of like they're called the comms. There are seven centers where people right now are going, and they are uh, sembrando. The translation: they are sembrando, they are harvesting, they are talking to the communities about the importance of how to feed ourselves. Right now in Puerto Rico, only 15% of the food that we eat, we produce. 85% is imported. So people, grassroots organizations, are changing that. 
people from all different political views and status have come together after this hurricane hit us to to join together to have what we need as a country. So whenever this happens again, we are prepared. And they are taking care not only of how to feed ourselves, but they are repairing the houses. They are doing um, workshops of everything, to how to be prepared for a hurricane, how to deal with social, emotional crisis. So a lot of, a lot, a lot of grassroots organizations are working in different aspects, and all of them are coming together. There are various alliances. One is called um, Junta Gente, where different environmental, feminist, um, union, um, unions are coming together and meeting once a month to work on the program of the country that we want and where we are and where we see each other and we meet each other and we know that this is what we want for a country. We work together on what unites us. What does not unite us, then we don't talk about that and we talk about what <laughs> unites us to go further with our with our views. The independence movement right now in Puerto Rico is working together for the same cause. There are a lot of different groups that are coming together. The Independence Party, the Movement of Socialist Workers, another group called Jornada Sacadora Las Promesas, the Partido Nacionalista Nationalist Party. So there's all of the parties that believe in independence in the country are coming together for one same cause. Because if the ones that oppress us can unite themselves to rule over us and to impose these severe measures that affect every single human in our country of the working class, then the independence, the pro-independence party and everyone that believes in independence or socialism are have the duty to unite themselves. And it's not, it has not been an easy job throughout the years, but they are doing it now because it's time. It's time to put our differences aside, and it's time to work towards what we believe in as a whole. So there's a lot of a lot of things going on. A lot of grassroots organizations, a lot of political organizations, a lot of unions are coming together because we need each other if we want to prevail and if we want to conquer the the country that we want to leave our kids with. Then everybody is important every single member of the working class, independently of their political views, is important, and that's the hard work, how to create class conscience on the workers, how to create class conscience on the housewives, on the children, on all the groups, and that's what we are doing together, different organizations, in order to fight back, to resist and to attain what we need, and which is social justice, which is education justice, you can call it socialism, we can call it so many words, but at the end of the road, we need social justice in our country. We need to be liberated. So a lot of people working together towards the same goal right now. Well, we have two questions related to this. Uh, is there repression against your movement? And again, I want to get as clear as you can what you think you want the movement of solidarity in the United States to think about in terms of maybe a, a reasonably long, short-term and long-term response to the crisis. 
you know, I know you have uh, a possibility. You, what What are you asking people to do? Let me say that. What are if everybody did everything you wanted to help from the United States? I'm serious. Why don't you lay out your wish list, and then we'll we'll do everything we can to at least get something moving along with all the other groups who are already doing it. Well, first, first thing, the people that want to help have to understand that repression is very vivid in our country. We've seen it um, against the university students that were on strike. We've seen it against teachers where they use police to retaliate against protesters, where the government uses police to oppress the people that go on marches that are fighting for their rights here. People have been tear gas, um, um, rubber bullets have been fired, um, pepper sprayed, beaten with their bat- with their batons. So we've seen it on the May Day, International Workers' Day protest both years, 2017, 2018, uh, where police brutality is on steroids. And people have been arrested. We have one protester that is still incarcerated in the federal prison. Her name is Nina Dros. She was arrested May 1st in 2017. Um, She has been judged and is serving three years in federal prison right now. She was one of the protesters and she's a political prisoner right now of our country. We have students, more than 10 students of the University of Puerto Rico that were on a strike for 74 days. Um, the strike that lasted 74 days was against tuition hikes that the Imperial Fiscal Board wants to impose on the university students against eliminating um, courses, about eliminating complete programs, about laying off professors, about overcrowding the classrooms in the university. So they won for that year. This year they applied the tuition hike and they eliminated a lot of courses this year. But as part of the strike, when they entered to a meeting with the board, was deciding on the future of the university students, they have been charged with um, a lot of felony charges, and they are looking from eight years to more than 10 years of prison time. Their case is is ongoing right now. Um, So as you can see, the repression is, is getting, they are talking right now in the, Puerto Rican Congress about amending the penal code to impose more years of penalty for wow. alleged crimes as obstructing obstruction of justice. If you obstruct the entrance of a of a public building like a school, if you want to fight back so they don't close it, if you obstruct, you can get three years of prison. So the laws are being amended. The penal code has been amended. Charges are being dropped on everybody that's protesting against these measures. We've seen it also for the being implemented against the fighters of carbon ashes. We have a carbon ash plant here that has been sickening people for decades, and there's a camp against carbon ash, and they've been arrested. They've been beaten up. So repression is real vivid in our country. So if you ask me what we could what do we need? What solidarity looks like? First, exposing the situation, the colonial situation of our country, 
the fiscal board that has been imposed by U.S. Congress and signed by Barack Obama, we need, we can't vote for the members of Congress in the U.S., but everybody that lives in the U.S. can. So you need to tell all your candidates that the debt needs to be canceled, that the Jones Act needs to be abolished, that we need the PROMESA Act to be abolished entirely. Um, tweeting your congressman, emailing your congressman, your president, even though you may think it may not do a difference, we need um, thousands of tweets of emails to these people that are being are going to be elected to compromise themselves, not just by word, but in writing, that they will do whatever needs to be done to have this immoral act. Um, they need to stop this act because it's literally driving people to poverty. It's driving people to death. So that's the first thing you could do. There are a lot of grassroots organizations that wouldn't that need money to progress their programs teachers for example need to prepare for a strike so we need to strengthen our strike fund students as well so there's a lot of causes a lot of people that are fighting here in a country that need that support talking about this with your comrades with your working class um people in the states will help us and the most important thing that you could do is, as we fight here, our battle, which is a working class battle, and people in the states fight the same battle. We are strengthening the we are strengthening the the fight of the working class. So we all need to be doing this in our states, in our cities, in our countries. We are just one working class in the entire planet. So as long as we are organizing, as long as we are creating class conscience. As long as we are strengthening the unions, we are talking about socialism, and we are doing this in a national way, we are helping each other out. Gloria, you're certainly an amazing <laughs> representative, and you've been both trained very well in the socialist organization you ran, and you're just a terrific, uh, clear political representative. Channing was so thrilled to have met you, and as you know, a group of people are coming back from the United, going back to Puerto Rico in uh, mid-October. Uh, if people wanted to give financially, how do they do so? Well, we have a PayPal um, link that we created. We, I can email it to you, and you can post it. They can look us up on Facebook. We have our our page, which is. Federación de Maestros de Puerto Rico, and they can look up a, under our name, or they can call us as well at our at our offices at 787-766-1818, and in that, those ways we can give them the direct link so they can help us with that. And we are very excited that some of you are coming here to Puerto Rico in October. We were wishing that I know the conference is set up to be three days, but maybe you could stay, people that are coming could stay a day longer or come a day earlier because we want to prepare a panel for the working class here of our country and to share experiences about the struggles that you're giving in your own cities and how we can relate to them because it's good for the 
for the people here in Puerto Rico to listen to your struggles, which are our struggles, and it's important for us to know how we can support you as well. So if that will be possible when you come, um, whoever is going to come to represent, that will be great because we could get a space outside the the hotel to have a lot of Puerto Rican people, a lot of working class people, students of activists, environmentalists come and exchange um, change ideas and talk about what's happening in our country and in your country as well. Our five demands? Yeah. Of course, sure. So that, uh, the first thing is, uh, Mercedes, that is, that sounds very exciting. I'm going to be going along with Barbara Lot Holland, who you met in uh, New Orleans as well, um, to the conference. And for folks who don't know, the conference is the Education and New Shifting Justice Conference, October 11th to the 14th. And it's being put on by the communities for Just Schools Fund and the Andrus Family uh, Foundation. Foundation, I believe is their full name. Um, and in August, we went to New Orleans and we had an education exchange. That's how I originally met Mercedes. And it was a very beautiful education exchange where I learned a lot about Puerto Rican history and culture. Um, and I'm excited to see you in October as well. Um, and I like the idea of us exchanging about our different campaigns and the different work that we're holding down in the different countries in the United States, in Puerto Rico. Um, here in Los Angeles, we have a campaign for free public transportation, no police on the buses and trains, no police in schools, stop attacks, and specifically metro transit attacks against black passengers and no cars in LA. Um, and so, and we have a larger program uh, that is both international and national. Um, but we start with those five demands because they're trying to speak to several things. Um, the first thing is speaking to the totality of urban life, right? Speaking to all the different issues that are going on in the working class person, mostly black and Latino person's uh, point of view. Um, it is a set of demands that is calling for climate change, uh, calling for uh, ac uh, action on climate change, right? Um, calling on the United States government. Um, one of the reasons why we say no cars in LA is because LA is one of the top polluting cities in the entire world, right? We're the top uh, ozone polluting city in the entire world right now. Um, and then it is calling also because there are you know, there's an increase in policing and uh, the police state in the United States. There's always an increase nonetheless. But this there's a significant increase here in Los Angeles where, you know, police are being injected into our daily lives in every single way. And one of those ways is being in schools, right? Um, and policing students for really stupid things, right? I mean, and just harassing students. We've received uh, stories from young women saying that they're feeling sexually harassed by police officers who are, quote, quote, there to protect and serve. We know they're never there to, to do that, right? Um, and they're on public transit. So that that's our campaign. We can share more with you when we get to uh, Puerto Rico. That sounds amazing. I love your campaign and what it sounds like. So... I know that people here in our country would love to hear more about all of those um, claims that you have that 
are definitely our claims as well. We have a lot of a lot of things in common. The working class does. So we need to hear each other and to know that we're not alone in this. And I think it will be great if that panel gets to be set up so you can have an exchange with people here in our country and you can hear their stories and we can hear your stories and we can exchange ideas on how to beat this together. Well, one of the things, Mercedes, is that, you know, in the United States, even on the left, even at the Strategy Center, if I can say that, you know, we've done, we think, a pretty good job of fighting around what we call transit racism and fighting against climate racism and all kinds of, you know, uh, what we call national oppression inside the United States, not just class oppression, but, you know, the United States oppresses whole nations and peoples. But we don't think we've done the job we want to do on more of our international obligations. So we want to do, you know, if, if at least something about trying to lift the blockade in Gaza and take that seriously, at least to put out public education on that. Uh, we want to do some work in solidarity with the people of Puerto Rico. This is good for us. You know, it raises more fundamental questions because, you know, in the United States today, you know, there are people saying we should reform the Democratic Party. And I don't even, I mean, I don't have any strong opinions, interestingly, yes or no, but people are not saying what they want to reform it around. So, you know, as I was saying back in the 60s, we were trying to end the war in Vietnam. And wherever we went, that was the big demand on the Democrats and Republicans. But in the United States today, people are focusing on so-called domestic issues about, you know, Social Security and Medicare for all. And a lot of the people on the left who are saying they want to work on the Democratic Party are not really challenging Obama and Clinton, but they're challenging Trump. And we do think we need to challenge Trump. He's very dangerous right now. But as you pointed out, it was Clinton and Obama that did some of the more structural adjustment policies. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think the left in the United States especially, and I'm starting with myself, needs to have a stronger internationalist program that we actually fight for every day, that we don't just fight for free transit for people in the United States, but we fight to end the, the Jones Act and to you know, get the United States to forgive the debt in Puerto Rico, lift the blockade, reduce the 800 military bases, support South Africa, which is trying right now to at least consider uh, appropriating land and giving it back to black people. And those demands is when we really come up against people in the United States who are so-called progressive about stuff for themselves, but they're not necessarily that progressive about helping the people in the third world. And that's what we're trying to do more of. And that's why this campaign to us really is touching our heart. And we really want to come back and not promise more than we can do, but we want to do something real. Well, you're starting with something very real by exposing this and doing this program, <laughs> getting the word out. So yeah. you are already starting to act on it. And as I said before, it goes both ways. We need to be there for each other. And we are trying to build this solidarity bonds and 
the trips that we have gone to and now the trips that you are coming to have a purpose and they're, they're going to unite the working class, which is just one, around the world. So we're starting somewhere, you know. And you are starting with a great um, plan. And I know that we can achieve it if we work towards it um, together because we have so much. Here in our country, they have just shut down as part of disaster capitalism and they're trying to... Here, disaster capitalism is on steroids. They are trying to privatize every every public service every public good and right now they're they are trying to dismantle public education they have just shut down 250 schools we were fighting the entire summer we have been able to save half of the schools that they've tried to shut down but the amount of schools that they shut down are too much these government has shut down 442 schools in two years Wow. And it's, I think, it's the highest amount of schools sh- um, shut down anywhere. And it's been done here in a country. And they abused their power and their authority. And they abused the people of Puerto Rico being vulnerable after a Category 5 hurricane. And the sense of capitalism and steroids, they shut down these schools. They approved the bill to implement charter schools. We have never had charter schools in the country up till now for 25 years. We've been beating charter schools, but now they have become a reality. They tried to start this semester, and they started with one school. They were not able to create any other school, so we just have one. But next year, there are going to be more, so we need to prepare against that. We need to revoke the school closures, so the, the children need to go back to the schools. We are working with communities that are occupying the schools right now or working to occupy the schools in order for the schools to have a, to meet the needs of the community. If they're not going to be open school-wise, then they're going to be open by the community to serve the community for whatever project the community needs. So we have a lot of work in our hands because the government is doing everything in its power to dismantle public education, to destroy public education so parents um, ask for privatization. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work that we're doing. While we were doing the brigade work in the communities, brigades of teachers fixing the roofs, opening the roads, going to our students' house to see what they needed, feeding the people of our country that doing what we had to do as, you know, so we did what we had to do as teachers. While we're doing this, the Secretary of Education imposed by the fiscal board is talking about shutting down more schools. She's bringing the superintendent of New Orleans that worked there while Katrina um, hit him to implement the same supposed um, reform, and we know what that means. So Well, it's interesting, it's uh, M- Mercedes, I, I want to repeat is the phone number 787-766-1818. Is that correct or, or correct me? What yes, to, that's correct. So we... They, they can email me too. My email is my name and my last name, Mercedes uh, Martinez, 452 at gmail.com. They can email me directly too. That's wonderful. And especially 
if you want to provide help of any sort, all right, and we will be in touch on that. We're going to do some thinking of what we can do, you know. Uh, where you see if we can go to the phones for a few minutes and see if we can get some calls, Ricky. 818-985-5735. If you'd like to talk to uh, Mercedes, that would be wonderful. 818-985-5735. Mercedes Martinez, the president of the Puerto Rican Teachers Federation. If you want to help, that's the main thing we'd like you to talk about. Uh, you know, it's funny, just before you said that, I, I wrote a book called... Uh, Katrina's legacy, and one year after the Katrina's, you know, the Hurricane Katrina, uh, the United States drove 100,000 black people out of New Orleans, and they did it as a very forced relocation, as they've done. It's a form of genocide. And the other thing, they moved, because the, the teachers' union in New Orleans, very similar to yours, was one a truly progressive radical black-run union. And it had been fighting for, if, if you had any problems in New Orleans on police brutality, on housing, you would go to the teachers' union and they would fight for you. And so they moved aggressively to close down public housing and I was there. The public housing was actually in good shape. It just needed some paint and it needed, of course, you know, a massive cleanup. Uh, they closed, they privatized schools, they fired teachers. So, uh, and that would make sense that they're bringing someone from New Orleans to advise because they're both colonial campaign, right? They're, they're essentially colonizing campaigns to destroy a people. 818-985-5735 if you would like to talk to Mercedes Martinez. Uh, Channing, any thoughts as you keep going? Uh, Mercedes, can you talk a little bit about I know you you mentioned it briefly, but I know that you were saying that the teachers union was one of the big proponents in saving a lot of schools because of the brigades that they were doing. Um, can you talk a little bit about that that work that you were leading? Yeah, definitely. When immediately after the hurricane happened, teachers got back to school a week after, and the teachers federation started doing brigades of teachers that um, a lot of them know about carpentry. And we decided to make a census to see where the teachers were, were, what were their needs. And we started doing different brigades. One of them was to build the homes of our, our comrades, our teachers, our students, parents. Others was to fix the schools where FEMA did not appear, where the government did not appear. We got donations of the materials needed. Schools that lost their roofs, we got the roofs and built them. Schools that were flooded by rivers, 10 feet of water or more, and were devastated. We cleaned them, we threw away everything, and it was done. Um, these brigades were done in solidarity with, in union with other union um, workers of private unions, of ISO members that came here to Puerto Rico, brigades from the south of the U.S. that came, and they were just all workers, and we aligned together. So we were fixing the schools. We were getting donations for the children that lost everything. We got clothing. We got food. We got school materials. So it was a 
different brigades, we were able to collect more than $50,000, and we handed those to students, teachers, um, school workers that lost everything, that lost their homes. So the Teachers' Federation was actually everywhere, and they were protesting at the same time against the school closures that were announced immediately after the hurricane, um, school closures that were not able to go through because of the resistance of the community, of the need of the community to fight for the schools. So I am actually really proud of the work that the Teachers Federation did for more than three months from September till December up till now. We have a comrade, TLD, she's a teacher from Moore, from the Moore Caucus, that's the Movement of Rank and File Educators in New York. Huh. They're affiliated to the UFT. And they did a partnering program, which we still have, and we will partner schools from Puerto Rico and the U.S., and teachers will interact, and they will send materials to the children here in Puerto Rico because they lost everything. But it was the purpose was more than that. It was to build relationships, to build solidarity relationships, to interact within, you know, with each other, and they are still connecting to learn about each other's struggles and how we can help each other and why we are here fighting for this. So that was a really good program that GLE and I started together, and it's still working out with a lot of schools here. Your last question, your last question, we have two minutes, right, Ricky? Two? Is how do you train cadre to work this hard? Because we know that it's not just the average volunteer. I mean, people have to be trained, they have to be educated, they have to raise their class consciousness. Because you're sustaining a campaign for three months, four months, six months at a uh, uh, tremendous pace. How do you do it? Well, all the executive board members were there, and teachers here are very, are very humble. Teachers here were willing to do the work. We've been building the solidarity network for years. We have um, study groups that we do every month in different areas, so teachers can develop class conscious. We are divided the island in different areas, so every area has their study group, which is very important. We go to schools, we give talks in schools at lunch, after three, at the teachers' homes. We, it's nothing, you know, nothing will, not, you, you can use technology, it's very important, but nothing will substitute um, person-to-person contact, and we have been doing that throughout the years with our members, so I think Besides being a union, we have become a family, and that's why we are working together so good. Well, the Strategy Center family, which is a lot smaller than yours, but uh, cares about you a lot, uh, very impressed. And uh, Channing came to me yesterday and said, I got a great idea for the show. And obviously, he was right to have you on the show. Uh, Our consciousness is being raised, our class and national consciousness being raised through these programs. Uh, we do have a website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. This will be up. We have live streaming that I don't know what it is. I don't know what it does, but allegedly it's doing something. Right now we are live streaming to Facebook. We have been. And if you're interested in seeing all the many uh, I don't know, gestures that we're doing between <laughs> ourselves, like, you know, right on and fist up and all those crazy gestures, do live stream, and it is very interesting. And you can also uh, 
So go on Voices from the Frontlines by tomorrow at the end of the day. You'll, you'll listen to this. We're going to get a transcript of it up. We're going to send it to you, Mercedes, so you can use it in the organizing work. Uh, Channing's going to go to Puerto Rico for at least a month. Uh, that was a joke. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start. That's not even a joke. But at least uh, we're going to try to get that extra day that you asked for. And let's do it again, okay? We're very proud to get to know you and to work with you. Thank you. I'm honored for you guys to have me in the program. And hopefully I'll see you when you come in October and keep talking to the, you know, keep talking to each other so we can see what else we can do together. Take good care of yourself, sister. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night, both of you. Okay. So thank you for tuning in to Voices from the Frontlines. We'll be back again next week at 3 p.m. You can listen to this show and all others at www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And you can always check out our live stream on Facebook at Eric Mann Speaks. We hope to hear from you. Uh, we hope to hear from you through our Twitter, through our Facebook, and you can email us Eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And with that, we'll see you next week. Much more than this.